you may be seated. Please pray with me. God, our shepherd, we come to you this morning with a lot of griefs. And we know that you meet us here. Please show us your face. We pray these things in the name of the creator, redeemer, and spirit among us. Amen. My shepherd will supply my need. Isn't it amazing how some things stick with us? Maybe it's songs especially that do. I can sing every word to the Veggie Tales, the pirates who don't do anything. Anyone else, or is it just me? Yeah, a few. Glory, yes. But I can't for the life of me remember how to do long division. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Don. I'm going to need help with that. I, can't, I can sing just about every Lady Gaga song out there, <laughs> but try getting me to remember to conjugate all the Hebrew verbs from seminary class, and you're going to hit a wall. Good luck with that. And the song that we just sang, it's one of those that I remember, one that I hold in my heart, one that my brain cannot let go of no matter how hard I try. My shepherd will supply my need. People say that the theology the church sings is the theology that the church believes, and it's true. Songs stick with us. We believe those lyrics. We believe what we sing. And this is the song that stuck with me this week. This is the song that came to me with the awful news of the death of our friend and beloved member here, Blake Stromberg. It kept running through my mind. Most of you knew Blake well, much better than I did too. For those who didn't, for those who are visiting, Blake was a gem, a delight, a man who would gruffly pull us together for a camping trip who would help us go out under the stars late at night in the on the camping trip and, and watch the beautiful sky. He would so selflessly serve in this place and everywhere. We found out about his sudden death this week and we are reeling. And as soon as I heard, I sat in stunned silence and then I cried and then I reached for Psalm 22, that Psalm that Jesus says on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? He yells it in anguish. I know that you feel something similar, perhaps. And if we're going through psalms of that anguish nature, I wanted to stick with Psalm 88. That was the one I felt in my gut. It never resolves, and instead it stays in the pain. Sometimes we need that. And I sat with Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face? And we need lament. It's part of what brings us healing, isn't it? It's ignored by churches often because lament isn't clean and it isn't easy. But we need it. And in this time, we are lamenting. And so I read through those psalms and I yelled and cried. But this song kept coming to mind. When I walk through the shades of death, thy presence is my stay. And I imagined Blake in the arms of Jesus. No more a stranger, nor a guest, but like a child at home. 
And I thought it odd that I would sing this song, this psalm this week of all weeks. I thought it odd it would bring me so much comfort in the midst of my grief. I was singing Psalm 23, a psalm that didn't seem much like lament in the first place or at first glance. This psalm conjures up softened paintings found in so many church basements. I would think of all those bookmarks I was given from every Christian bookstore growing up with a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus, despite the fact that he was a Palestinian Jew. And I would imagine that Jesus cuddling a furry sheep in the middle of flowers. So often when I think of Psalm 23, I picture serene natural beauty and furry sheep wandering around in delight and peaceful bliss, but this, this isn't our lives, is it? It's more complicated than that. It isn't always what we experience. And while I will Google pictures of cute puppies with the best of them when I'm sad sometimes, serene photos of Jesus holding sheep doesn't always help us in moments where we find ourselves as a community this week. Sometimes familiar texts like Psalm 23, they've been used in bad ways and quoted to us in our grief in ways that haven't been helpful. Sometimes this psalm is taken out of its context and it's used to smooth over our grief instead of sitting with us with it. People say, well, the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. And I just want to cry. These verses can come across as platitudes when that's the last thing we need and I am not a fan of that. Rachel Held Evans, a blogger and writer, says of some Christian's reaction to pain in her book, Searching for Sunday, she says, people often fit into church until the divorce or the diagnosis, the death, the doubt, the loss of a job, the depression, until someone comes out and asks questions or until an uncomfortable truth is spoken aloud. And what these people find is when they bring their pain or their doubt or their uncomfortable truth to church, someone immediately grabs it out of their hands to try to fix it to make it go away. Bible verses are quoted and assurances are given. With good intentions tinged with fear, Christians scour their inventory for a cure. We sometimes forget to lament, to sit in others' pain, and to often sit in our own pain because it's not a fun place to be. And perhaps you've done this because you've just wanted to help. You ache to see someone in pain, and you want to help your own discomfort of sitting with them. And perhaps you've had it done to you, maybe even this week. Had what felt like shallow words quoted to you in times where your pain had no words, it was so awful. As many of you know, this last year has been one of grief for me. I dealt with the assault and death of a dear friend of mine. It was about a year ago this week, and I had anxiety and sickness all year. It took me out, honestly, and my parents especially. They cared for me. They called me and checked in. They encouraged me and wrote notes to me. They came over and they did my dishes for me. They took me to doctor's appointments when I was too scared or tired or sad. They showed up for me, not giving me platitudes, but just showing me unrelenting love and practical care in the form of scrubbing out my sink and taking out the trash. Their care and my friend's care too, it got me through. And this week, as I call to mind their care for me, they made me think of this God in our scriptures that we read today. Maybe we need God as our parent in this time. 
God, the one who hides us under the shadow of her wings, kind of like a mother hen. I love that verse. God who runs to us like the father of the prodigal son, who shows up for us, who stops everything to listen to us like Jesus did for the bleeding woman. Maybe we need God the good parent, the good friend, and the good shepherd. And so, I decided to look into Psalm 23. So I dug out my Old Testament class notes and my Hebrew notes, and I found a translation that myself and my professor and my classmates came up with, something that fleshes out some of the vast meanings of the Hebrew words that don't have easy translations in English. Can I share it with you this morning? Maybe if you want to close your eyes and focus on this, if you want to meditate on these words, you can. Uh, feel free if you wish to close your eyes. If you don't want to, that's all right, too. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I won't be empty. God makes me relax in green and restful pastures. God leads me beside still waters. God returns my soul to where it should be and leads me in grooves for healthy living for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest of valley of shadows and of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod to beat back the wolves and your staff to lead me, they protect and they comfort me. You prepare an abundant table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, showing them that, you, that I am yours. My cup overflows. Surely from this experience, I know that this goodness and unrelenting love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for the lengthening and the healing of my days. And you can open your eyes now if you wish. In reading this psalm again with somewhat different words than I was used to and had memorized as a kid, my brain was able to meditate on the text a little bit more. I was reminded of some things, and perhaps a few things that we can hold on to as we walk through this dark valley of our own. Number one, we can remember. We can remember that the one writing this was an ancient shepherd himself. And he knew that shepherds were dirty from camping with sheep and were often considered too gross or wild or crass for polite company. This is the reputation of shepherds. So perhaps Jesus the shepherd, perhaps this is what we can remember. Perhaps Jesus the shepherd could come to us in our grief and perhaps even swears with us in our ache and anger without smoothing anything over. Maybe we can be angry and doubt in the middle of this. Perhaps our dirt won't make our shepherd unclean, but because perhaps he already is and is glad to be there with us. The second thing I think we can remember is that ancient shepherds carried both a rod and a staff for different purposes. One of them, the staff, was to hook sheep and pull them to safety, and the rod was to beat back the wolves. We can cling to the truth that God doesn't use the rod to beat us or wound us. God does not cause our pain. God, the shepherd, sees it and grieves with us in it and aches with us in it. I believe God aches with us this week. We can also remember that God the shepherd leads us with a staff in well-worn grooves in the trail. I love that piece. 
God leads us in well-worn grooves that the shepherd has taken before in order to bring us to a safe path. The way before us is known to God our shepherd. God our shepherd has been there before. So I think we can trust our shepherd's leadership. And perhaps most of all in our valley, we can remember that while this psalm has sometimes been used as a platitude, it is instead written around a centering verse, which is this. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys of shadows and death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That is the centering verse of this psalm. It's the thesis statement. It was written by and for an ancient people who would know that shepherds would often have to walk sheep through dry riverbeds where there was no water, where wild and hungry animals would take shelter out of the sun, and where temperatures would drop to freezing at night. It was written in the very context of death. These valleys of shadow were dangerous and would cause shepherds to work twice as hard to protect their sheep and get them what they needed. These valleys of shadow of death, they were scary, a place we too are well acquainted with this week and many other times in our lives. I think this psalm is written specifically for places of pain. And it may be hard or even impossible for you this morning to believe these things, and that's all right especially in the face of such grief and terror. It's hard to have faith. But it says these things nonetheless because this is a psalm to be read purposefully in the midst of weeks like this, in the midst of conflict and in the midst of fear and in the midst of despair to remind us of the truth and to give us something to cling on to. It tells us of God's character and response in the midst of our despair, even if we don't believe it. We ache Blake's passing. We ache in trauma and grief. We are sick to our stomachs. We may still be in this valley or any number of valleys, and we know that we can't get out easily, but we can claim this. We have a shepherd, and that shepherd is with us. The shepherd knows the valley of the shadow of death like we know the backs of our own hands. The shepherd does not pretend our suffering isn't real and won't try to make us feel better when we simply cannot. Our shepherd lets us lament and walked through this valley too. Our shepherd screamed in anguish from the cross and asked of God, why have you forsaken me? If there is anyone who knows this valley of shadows that we wrestle with, it is our God. And finally, I made it to the final verse of this paraphrase psalm that me and my classmates came up with. The Hebrew words here implied a sense of length. But I couldn't quite figure out what this meant. <laughs> what did it mean that we would dwell in the house of the Lord for the lengthening and healing of our days? It doesn't make any sense. It was a weird image, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. But I did once meet a kid who showed me a little bit about what this could mean. When I lived in Chicago, I really deeply missed the nature of the Northwest. It really feeds my soul, my my parents are mountain climbers, so I come by it naturally. And I missed the nature of the Northwest. The trees heal me and give me room to breathe. And to get my nature fixed and find some peace, I would go on walks throughout the Chicago Park system just to be in the trees for a little while. And one afternoon, I was in the middle of one of my walks. 
And I, I, was, I was in the middle of one of my walks. In the middle of it, a young man ran up to me. And he stopped me. And he, he was carrying something, and I couldn't quite see what it was. But before I could ask, I could see, I could see that something was distressing him. He was crying. And he, he asks me for help in that moment. And he, and he opens his arms just a little bit. And I see in his arms, he's holding a live duck. This kid is cradling in his arms a live duck complete with webbed feet and soft feathers. It's very adorable. And I was a little shocked. <laughs> I looked around to see if anyone else was experiencing what I was experiencing. Has anyone else seen what I've seen in this moment? But before I can ask this boy to explain, he launches into a monologue, he tells me. He tells me his name is Yusuf. He tells me that he had just moved to Chicago with his grandmother from Iraq because his grandmother needed surgery on her back, and there was a hospital in Chicago that was ready to offer that to them. And then he begins to cry again, and he tells me that as he was sitting in the park, as he was sitting there, and then he got up to play with some people for a while, he looked over, and he saw a duck waddling across the path, and he pantomimes it, as he's telling me. With one arm, though, because he's holding the duck. And as he sees this duck ride by, he sees a bicyclist come. And the bicyclist come, comes and it runs right over the duck. And it cracks the little duck's leg. And he starts crying more. And, and so Yusuf turns the duck over in his arms and he shows me this leg of the duck. And it's broken and bloodied. And it's also wrapped really lovingly in a makeshift toilet paper splint that he had made. And as he shows me this toilet paper masterpiece cast, Yusuf tells me that he wants desperately to be a veterinarian. <laughs> he told me stories of how he had stitched up many other animals and creatures back in Iraq, and he had nursed other little creatures back to health. And during that time, I decided to call animal shelters just to see if we could get this duck some health. And Yusuf asked me about how he could get into veterinary school because apparently I look like I would know. And finally, I was able to get a hold of a group called the Bird and Dog Rescue People, creative name, who would take care of wounded animals in the area on weekends. And Yusuf and I, we decided to sit on the curb and wait for these people to show up and take this duck, our new friend. Now, Yusuf is holding this duck in his arms, and I cannot imagine that a child touching a wild duck is going to be great for this duck. So, I, I can imagine that this wild bird would be squashed by this child. So, eventually, I'm able to pry the duck out of Yusuf's arms. He loves this duck so much, it took me a long time to do so. And I put it in a paper bag to keep it safer and out of the reach of other kids in the park. And these bird and dog rescue people, they were slow to come and find us, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And Yusuf and I talked some more, but as we're talking, Yusuf kept opening the bag, and he kept talking to the duck, and he kept saying, you're okay, you're going to get help, we love you. And I told him a couple times that I could wait for this person, and he could go home to his grandma, who was probably worried about him, but Yusuf would not budge until that duck was in good care. He would not leave the wounded duck alone. He kept his hand on the bag and kept it close. And we waited together on that sidewalk until the sky began to get dark and the fireflies started looping around as we sat there on the cooling concrete after a hot day. And I kept wondering, why? Why was I waiting around for a duck? 
But finally, someone showed up with a car and took the duck. They told me and Yusuf that they thought they could stitch up that duck and help it to be well again. And Yusuf and I entrusted this duck to them and their wisdom, and we went our separate ways, me to my homework and roommates, and, and he to his grandma, and a warm meal and dreams of veterinary school. Psalm 23 tells us that we will dwell in the house of the Lord for the lengthening and the healing of our days. I learned recently that when we get some kind of injury, perhaps if we fall off our bike or get a scrape or something more serious happens, our skin and our muscles and our ligaments, they're all separated. They aren't tied together in one continuous piece anymore, but they're split apart. And what happens as we heal excuse me, is that our tendons and muscles and ligaments and skin, what, they were separated, but then they stretch. And they stretch and heal and come together to meet again, to find the parts of itself that it was split from when we were injured. And this healing, it takes time, but eventually those things, those pieces of our body, they lengthen to where they touch each other again, they attach, and we no longer have a hole where we were injured, but we are finally healthy this takes time, but it happens. And this, I think, is what this psalm is about. We walk through the valley of the deepest shadows and death. Some of us have been there a long time. Some of us find us there newly this week. Whoever you may be, you've weathered some sort of storm, or perhaps you're in the middle, one, middle of one. We become wounded, and the ligaments and tendons of our souls are cut apart. There are gaping holes where we once felt we had it all together. But I think God knows this about us and how the skin of our souls is ripped open. God created us after all. In Psalm 23, there are no platitudes or advice or quick solutions to the valley of the shadow of death, but there is green grass and there's still waters. There's the presence of God. God is like Yusuf, this little Iraqi wannabe veg vegetarian, veterinarian, maybe he was a vegetarian too, uh, that never deserts the wounded out of great love. Where the ligaments of our hearts are ripped apart with grief and confusion, where the skin of our souls are layered with doubt and mistrust, we are not left without someone who knows it simply takes time for those wounds to stretch and come together and heal again. God still embraces us and never deserts us out of great love, ever, just like Yusuf. We can be ourselves and hurt and struggle to heal and question our faith, and God stays with us the whole way without judgment, allowing us to have the ligaments and tendons of our souls stretch and create new health where there was pain and wounds before. And perhaps this could give us hope. Hope that is the conviction that death will not have the last word. After all, we believe in the resurrection, and others hold us when we cannot believe in it ourselves. And perhaps, as we learn from God's approach to the valley of the shadow of death, we can also learn how to be there with each other. Rachel Held Evans, in one of her books, also states, there is a difference between curing and healing, and I believe the church is called to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are called to enter into one another's pain, anointed as holy, and stick around no matter the outcome. 
just like my parents did for me this last year. Just like you all have been for Becky and for each other. Just like Yusuf did with the duck. Just like God does for us. We know that healing takes time. And as God's doubting and confused and angry children, we do not cease to be children. We are not kicked out of the house of the Lord. We are not kicked out of God's presence. We have sustained wounds, but we are not rejected until we are happy and pain-free, until we lose our doubt or heal. Blake and Becky don't cease to be in the house of the Lord. They are held in God's arms. And we are all welcome to dwell there in God's arms in our doubt and anxiety our screams and our ache, while our souls stretch to touch God in both this life and the next. God holds us in God's arms like Yusuf held the wounded duck, and no one can ever pry us out. Amen.